Okay, we started a new series last week, and if you weren't here or didn't watch, you can catch up on that. Uh, the series is about uh, understanding God's grace, but it's titled Discover Joy, or maybe Rediscover Joy. Maybe you've lost some of the joy that you had knowing God's grace. Today, our specific topic is guilt, guilt and grace. True story, um, appeared in the newspaper. <clears throat> Two guys were on trial for armed robbery. They're in a courtroom. The prosecuting attorney gets up and brings a witness up to the stand and starts asking questions of the witness. He said, well, you were present at such and such a date at such and such a place. The witness says, yes, I was. Uh, you noticed a car speeding away. Yes, I did. Did you see who was in the car? Yes, I did. Are those people those in this courtroom this morning? And before the, she or he could respond, the two guys raised their hands. They were guilty and felt guilty and let people know they were guilty. Uh, you and I have all been there, haven't we? Yes, I'm guilty. I've done that. Um, we always say none of us are perfect. But God has a different perspective on that. Obviously, that's true. But in James, James is writing this, brother of half-brother of Jesus, he wrote this, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet just stumbles in one point, that means you are 99.9% perfect, percent perfect, but you messed up one little time. What does he say? You're guilty of breaking all of it? That doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound fair to us, does it? Doesn't sound like justice. That's not man's justice, but that's God's justice. Because God requires either perfection or not. That's, that's the two categories. And so none of us are perfect, so we've all broken, in God's perspective, like breaking it all. So we're all condemned or all guilty. <clears throat> uh, so what do you do? <laughs> that's your situation, that's our situation. What do we do? We all are guilty of breaking all the law according to God's justice. So what is guilt anyway? What is guilt? Is it just this bad feeling when you've done something you shouldn't do or when you haven't done something that you should do? <laughs> is that what all guilt is? Just a bad feeling. <clears throat> and we all know that experience, don't we? We've all have experienced it uh, some degree or other. Uh, probably all of us have experienced to an extreme degree. And that's what the psalmist is sharing with us in this next verse we're going to read. My guilt overwhelms me. You ever been overwhelmed by your guilt? It, you, you couldn't sleep. You were just sad and uh, just overwhelmed. He said, it's a burden too heavy to bear. It's almost like it, it is uh, crushing you. So is that all guilt is? It's this crushing, at times even crushing feeling? Is that the punishment we get for doing something wrong, just feeling bad? Or does... Guilt actually have a use, a useful purpose. Well, I believe it does. My favorite illustration is this when I'm talking about guilt, is guilt is a warning light. We all have a, a warning lights on our dashboard of our car, right? And periodically they go off or on. And they are warning about some miss, something, even, you know, low air tire pressure <laughs> uh, gauge. Uh, could be something serious. Engine light comes on or whatever it might be. It's a warning light. All right, the question is, what do you do when those lights on your dashboard come on? 
And I had a car once that, that the light wasn't working, and it drove me crazy, so I put a piece of tape over it. <laughs> now, if it's a light that's really working, and if it comes on, I would not suggest putting a piece of tape over it, ignoring it, or pretending it doesn't matter, or whatever. It's a warning of something that needs to be done, and if you don't do something, it's going to get worse, right? That's exactly what guilt is. Now, I've gotten, I've got an old Honda uh, vehicle, and I've gotten, I think, twice now, recall notices. You ever get one of those? Uh, they're saying there's something that could go wrong. Last time, it was something to do with an airbag, and so I had to take it back to the manufacturer or to the dealer, Honda dealership, to get that fixed, right? So it wouldn't be a problem in the future. So you and I need to go back to the manufacturer when our guilt warning light goes on. And of course, that means to Almighty God, our, our gracious God. Now, any time I talk about guilt, I feel compelled, it's really important, I believe, to talk about the two types of guilt. Maybe you don't know there's two types of guilt. First is genuine guilt. That's when I've done something wrong, uh, I've been unkind to someone, and I, I feel bad about it. I need to apologize. Um, kind of on, on a different category, I was driving down uh, Boonesboro Mountain Road, and oh, it's probably been six weeks ago now, and there's not many houses up there, but there was this house that had a mailbox with a cubby hole, and the UPS guys or the, those folks, when they would fix it, fit, they'd stick it in that cubby hole. Well, it was, uh, you could see through it. So it was a windy day, and what had happened was this kind of envelope package had blown into the street. So I just went around it, of course. But as soon as I did, I had a prick in my conscience, thinking, that's not right. Uh, somebody could run over that, it could be something important, whatever. But like you, maybe, maybe you're like me, uh, somebody else will pick it up, right? But I went a little farther, and it was, my conscience was still bothering me. I usually try and operate by golden rule. Do unto others as you'd want them to do to you. And if it was my package, I'd want somebody to pick it up, not drive by. So I was only a quarter mile down the road or so. And so I turned around and went back and put the package in. My conscience was clear. That's genuine guilt. Now, the other category of guilt is what I call, well, that's not me, other people call it false guilt. That's when you feel guilty about something, but, for example, you don't know what it is. You just feel guilty. You know, I, I did something wrong. We, we all sin, so I'm guilty. Don't know what I did, but I did something. I'm, I might as well feel bad about it. Now, there's a couple categories. One I call self-talk. Well, I was just demonstrating. You know, I know I did something bad today, <laughs> so I should feel guilty because uh, I sin every day. Um, uh, I should have done this, I should have done that, whatever it might be. <clears throat> the other category is projected on us by others. Maybe you had an unpleasable parent or an unpleasable boss, and they're always condemning you and saying you're not doing good enough or you're not doing what you should do, and so you feel bad. All right. Another category of that is like parents. <laughs> Once your kids have grown up and they don't turn out like you hoped. And what, what happens? You feel guilty. I should have been a better parent. Maybe they would have turned out differently. Well, I'm sure you did the best you could. And that again, that's 
false guilt. Now, if you did something, <laughs> you know, there could be some genuine guilt there. Another part of this is when we've done something way in the past and it keeps bothering us. I still feel guilty about something I did 30, 40 years ago. That's false guilt. Unless you haven't dealt with it. We'll talk about how to deal with it. Paul addressed false guilt in this passage in Galatians. He said it this way. How foolish can you be? False guilt is foolish. After starting your new life in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect in your own human efforts? So as we talked about last week, salvation by grace, you accepted God's gift, you've been forgiven, but now you feel guilty and the way you get rid of your guilt, which we all do wrong, is to try and work it off, so to speak. <laughs> try to do something to, uh, to balance it out. He said, no, no, no. The same way you deal with your original sin, the sin before you became a believer, Jesus follower, was by God's grace. It's the same way you deal with sin after you become part of God's family. So I'll give you a little test or a little quiz or a little checklist of how to tell the difference between the genuine guilt and the False guilt, because this is critical, especially to your joy. False guilt causes us to lose a lot of our joy. So how can you tell the difference? Give you three tests. First one is focus on people or on God. Okay, yeah, I've, uh, I hurt my wife by something unkind I said. Or I um, hurt my kids by saying something unkind to them. Or I... Um, just mistrust God and hurt the heart of God or, or whatever it might be. Is the focus on people or God? Now, some people are what I call approval junkies and are always trying to, you know, meet people's approval. And so maybe you're, try, you're, you're trying to meet your parents' approval or uh, a, a preacher's approval or some other boss's approval. The problem with that is you never can... Please, everybody. It's impossible, right? Jesus couldn't do it. You and I can't do it. And the other part is it just wears you out. And again, you lose your joy. So is your focus on people? Is it trying to please people? Or is it really something that is uh, affecting your relationship with God? Um, A guy I studied in, actually in seminary, so probably not alive anymore, but he wrote this. Uh, False guilt is that which comes as a result of the judgments and suggestions of men. Paul Turnier. False guilt doesn't come from God. That's real guilt. False guilt comes as a result of judgments and suggestions of men. Uh, Yeah, we go. (laughs) So, that's one test. Another test is the focus vague or specific. Vague or specific. Yeah, I just got this sense of, you know, I feel guilty. Again, you know, I'm not perfect, so I'm, I feel guilty. I feel bad. I don't know why, what I've done. Uh, this is a lie of Satan. I tell people you should only feel guilty for a short amount of time. If you go through the process, we'll talk about it in a few minutes, then you shouldn't be, feel guilt anymore. When God convicts, we use the word convict, when God makes you feel guilty... <laughs> When the Spirit of God convicts you, it's like a laser. He, he hits it. You know exactly what it is, or what you've done or not done, 
whether it's an unkind word or, um, you know, I had this conversation with somebody, I should have brought up Jesus and I didn't bring up Jesus and I'm feeling, I realized that later that I, I, I didn't do that. I had fear and I shouldn't have had fear. That's God's conviction. And, and the other thing about when God convicts you of something, isn't it kind of interesting that, that it, you see it everywhere? Uh, you'll listen to a preacher or something talk and he'll mention it and then you'll be listening to a song and it's in the song and then you'll be reading something and it's in something you read. It's been there all along but it's only, you'll only notice it then because it's conviction of God. It's not vague, it's specific. The third test is this. Is it focused on the rules or is it focus on the relationship? You know, if you're feeling bad because, you know, I was supposed to work on the Sabbath and I worked on the Sabbath. That might be okay. You may need to confess that or not. But that's about rules. That's about keeping rules. Or is it something about relationship? Have you hurt someone by an unkind word or condemning them or putting them down or whatever it might be? Uh, Affect your relationship. Or is it affecting your relationship with God? Is it feel more like a duty or a desire? I don't know about you, but I'd rather focus on the relationship than on the rules. So first I want, now I want to talk about how we normally try and handle guilt, not very successfully, and then we'll talk about God's way of dealing with guilt. Again, the dashboard, the light comes on in the dashboard. What do you do? What do you do? Do you hide it? Don't suggest that. So we're going to go back and look at the first couple, Adam and Eve, and three classic ways of trying to deal with guilt that didn't work for them. It doesn't work for for us either, but we do. We try it. So here we go. First one is this. Shame. Shame. Done something wrong or you haven't done something you should do, and you feel ashamed. You feel embarrassed about it. All right? That's exactly what happened to them. This is Genesis, back beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. At that moment, they'd just eaten the forbidden fruit. Their eyes were open. Now, it sounds like a good thing to have your eyes open, right? Well, not in this case. What were they open to? They were open to sin. Uh, Rebellion against God. We're going to read that word in a few minutes. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So, did that solve the guilt issue? Does shame solve your guilt issue? You feel ashamed? Does the guilt go away? No, it doesn't go away. Didn't work for them, doesn't work for us. Second way was this. Hiding. They tried to hide. This is kind of silly. Really, uh, they tried to hide. The text goes on this way. The cool of the evening breezes were blowing. The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Now, once you notice, every time God's referred to in, in Genesis chapter 3, if you read the whole chapter, it says, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. That means boss God, or God, you're the boss. So he's the boss whether we acknowledge it or not. And he was making sure that Adam and Eve understood that. So walked about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. How effective is that word? The Lord God called to the man, where are you? Like he didn't know. Given Adam a chance to respond. So he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. Why did he hit? 
Hi, I was afraid because I was naked. This is what it reminds me of. Uh, those of you who have children. You ever have your children go like this? And they, they don't think you can see them, right? Just because they put their hands over their eyes because they can't see you. That's the same way it is with God. We're trying to hide from God. It's as foolish as trying to hide by, behind our hands. So, how effective is hiding? Obviously, doesn't help at all. Third way, and this is probably our most popular way, unfortunately, blame, blame. Done something wrong, not my fault, their fault, right? It's exactly what happens in the, it's almost comical if it wasn't so sad. Let's continue with the text. <clears throat> Who told you you were naked? With God, they, God hadn't told them they were naked. They didn't think they were naked before this. <clears throat> Lord God asked, have you eaten from the true tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? All right. So the reason was a problem because God said, don't do it, and they did it, of course, right? Commanded you not to eat. Of course, he knew the answer to this also. <laughs> so he's waiting for them to fess up, so to speak. Is that what they do? So Adam mans up. And what's he do? He says, I, no. It was a woman. You gave to me. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. It's not my fault. Well, then God turns to the woman and said, what have you done? Uh, well, it, it was the serpent. He deceived me. I wouldn't have done it if he hadn't deceived me. That's why I ate it. And what's the old adage? And, he had no, and the serpent had no legs to stand on after that, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, it reminded me of a situation I had recently. I, I, got a, I got a flat tire on a Sunday afternoon. I was at my mother-in-law's house, and I was headed to my son's house in Greencastle. Well, I didn't have time to change it, so I uh, borrowed her car. So I had to go back on Monday, put the spare tire on the car. Guess what? The spare tire has barely got any air in it. So there's a gas station like two blocks away uh, on Jefferson Boulevard, the Liberty Station. And so I get in my car and drive to the Liberty Station. Guess what happens? I got there, but then it went completely flat. All right, so nothing I could do but call my wife to come pick me up and then call a tow truck and that, that whole deal. <clears throat> so that's our way of trying to deal with guilt. We either feel ashamed, we uh, try and hide, um, or we blame someone else. I didn't blame anybody else but I didn't pay attention to, there wasn't a warning light, <laughs> but the warning from my car. So what's God's way? Is there a better way? Is there a way that works dealing with guilt? And of course, it's by God's grace. God's way of handling guilt is by grace. <clears throat> now, I'm going to use a verse that, if you've been a Jesus follower for a while, it's a pretty familiar verse. So I'm going to give you an elongated version of this verse. It's 1 John 1.9. Some of you know that verse? Pretty familiar verse. 1 John 1.9. If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he, meaning God, is faithful and just, true to his own nature and promises, and will forgive our sins. 
Cleanse us continually from all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is our wrongdoing, everything not in conformity with his will and purpose, like eating of the forbidden fruit. So, three-step process here. First is confess your sins, right? So I said, confess your sin. Not confess your shortcomings or not confess your frustration or not confess uh, something else. It's confess your sin. Now, sin has a lot of definition. When I think of sin, I like this eyed concept. What's the middle, middle letter in the word sin? The letter I. Now, sin happens when it all becomes about I or me. When I get frustrated and raise my voice at my wife, it's because I was frustrated. It doesn't necessarily she did anything wrong. All right. It's all about I. It's all about what I want to do instead of what God wants me to do or not to do. In this case, eat the forbidden fruit. So God says, I don't, you shouldn't do this, but I want to do this. So I do this. So anytime we leave God out, God, you stay over here, I'm going to do what I want over here. Anytime we do that, that is sin. That's what needs to be confessed, not excused. Um, <clears throat> I believe it's the psalmist wrote this. Uh, oh God, you know how foolish I am. Why are we foolish? Well, my sins cannot be hidden from you. Try to hide them or to say, well, it's just a bad habit. It's not a sin. No, it's a sin. Now, the problem with this is trying to hide it, it just wears you out. What does confess mean? Well, literally, confess means this. To say, saying the same thing about or agreeing with God about. So, Adam and Eve should say, okay, God, I agree with you. I shouldn't eat this fruit. You and I, whatever it might be in God's word, we know I shouldn't do. I agree with you. I shouldn't do this. That's confessing, agreeing with God, saying the same thing about it to God. Now, there's different techniques of dealing with confession. Uh, one that, that some people find helpful is actually writing it down. You know, I kicked the dog. That was wrong. Now, hopefully you didn't kick your dog. Uh, <clears throat> whatever it might be. Uh, I was unkind to this person or whatever it might be. Write it down and then either tear it up and throw it away. Some people like to burn it. Whatever it might be to have a visual of the fact that you confessed it to God. And one category we have, and I mentioned this before, sometimes we've confessed the same thing over time, over time, and it might have been 20, 30, 40 years ago you did this, you're still confessing it. Well, again, that's false guilt, because once you confess it the first time, as we're going to see, that's all that's required. So you confess it. Secondly, and the only reason you would confess it more is you don't do the second, second step Trust God's character. Trust God's character. Now, one thing that kind of happens to us sometimes is when we feel guilty, we don't want to be close to God because that we feel that'll make us more guilty. But it's just the opposite. Because God wants to show his love and his grace to us. And he can't do that as long as we're pushing him away. So we have to trust his character. Part of his character is faithful and just. That's what 1 John 1, 9 said. Faithful and just. I'm going to read a passage out of Hebrews that talks about trusting his character. Let us 
<clears throat> go right into the presence of God. So don't keep an arm's length. With sincere hearts, be sincere, confess, fully trusting him. Trusting what about him? Well, his character. For our guilty conscience, that's what we feel, guilt in our conscience. Notice the beautiful imagery, imagery here. Has been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. My guilty conscience is sprinkled with blood, Christ's blood. Why? To make us clean, not guilty. And the verse goes, uh, text goes on. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. His promise what? We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us. So once you've confessed it, you don't need to confess it again. You don't need to feel bad about it again. You may need to make restitution for it. That's another issue. But only as you and I do this can we be all God wants us to be. One reason Satan likes to keep us feel guilty is because we are not much use when we run around feeling miserable. We're not much used to God. And God wants to use us. Hopefully you and I want to be used by God. So, do you trust God's character? Do you truly believe that once you confessed it, no matter how terrible it is or how long you've done it, it doesn't matter. We'll give you a couple of examples here in a minute. You are forgiven if you confess it to God. So trust, he'll forgive it. And then, the first, of course, the third step is accept God's forgiveness. Accept God's forgiveness. Complete forgiveness. Sometimes what we do is I call partial forgiveness. Okay, God, I won't feel as bad as I did before, but I'm still going to feel bad. And again, restitution is an important part. But if you've done the restitution part, nothing can be accomplished about still living in guilt. Notice that passage said, confess your sins, he is faithful just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from what? All, three-letter word, all unrighteousness, all sin, all our mistakes. Whatever it is, all. All means all. Probably the most familiar passage of Scripture for most people in the Bible is John 3.16. Really important verse. It lays out that salvation by grace. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Not because we, eternal life. Not because we deserve it. It's God's grace gift to us, right? But the text doesn't stop there. John didn't stop writing there. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. So why did he come? But to save the world through him. So Jesus came to save us, not to judge us. We touched on that last week. So the text goes on. There is no judgment. There is no condemnation against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who doesn't believe, already been judged, not believing God's one and only son. So when you and I confess our sins, if we still are living in guilt, my question is, who do you believe? You don't believe God because God just said you're not condemned. There's no more judgment. You're not believing Him. 
So you're believing something else. You're believing an unpleasable parent, unpleasable person. You're believing Satan's lies, whatever it might be. I think a lot of Christians have this idea that when they die and go to the pearly gates, <laughs> then, the, then all the terrible things they've done are going to be shown to I don't know who. <laughs> shown to you, maybe. That's not true. That's bad theology. The Bible doesn't teach that. What does it just teach? What's it say here? <laughs> there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. All those sins are forgiven. There's no re- nothing to be judged. Of course, without Christ, those people will have their sins displayed before them and they'll have no response, no answer. But Jesus' followers, there is no judgment, no condemnation. Why, again? Because we deserve it? Absolutely not. Because of God's grace. Because he chooses to. Now, there are consequences to sin. And just because God, we confess it and God forgives it doesn't mean that he takes away the consequences. Uh, we've all experienced that. You can read the different stories in the Bible. <clears throat> so let me try and illustrate this way. My wife just had sur- surgery not too long ago. And when you have surgery, and she's fine now, uh, when you have surgery, what comes in the mail after the surgery? The bills. And not just one bill and not little bills, but more than one bill and big bills, right? And, of course, that happened to us. Well, let's, this didn't happen to us, but let's imagine that one of the bills comes and it's marked paid in full. Thousands of dollars. Paid in full. And I think, oh, I never paid that bill. What would you do? Well, hopefully you do what I would do. I would call them up and say, wait a minute, this is a mistake. <laughs> I didn't pay that bill. And what if you got this response? Well, no, you didn't pay it, but we wanted to pay it for you. So it's all taken care of, and if you need, we'll send you a letter with our letterhead on it, signed by the the head person in our office saying, we have forgiven your debt, your debt is paid in full. So the next time I look at that bill that says paid in full, do I say, ah, no, I didn't pay it. Well, yes, I didn't pay it, but I don't need to pay it. It's already been paid. And especially if Satan comes and says, hey, you did this terrible thing years ago. You still should feel bad about it. You say, no, no, no. Paid in full. Got the letter right here. Still have doubts? See, God not only forgives us, but he wants to use us. And you can go through almost every guy in the Bible that you probably know their names. Abraham. You know that name? Well, he couldn't trust God long enough. He, he, his wife didn't get pregnant with his, this child, so he takes another lady and gets her pregnant uh, outside of God's will. Uh, Moses, most people know who Moses was. Uh, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's, in the palace, 40 years old. He killed an Egyptian and winds up the next 40 years in the desert. So God used Moses? Yes, everybody knows about Moses. Did his... Uh, Israelites out of Egypt. Uh, he was a murderer. No, David. Most people know about David. Killed Goliath. Great king. Did some, did some great things. Uh, a man after God's own heart. Oh, David just uh, committed adultery and then killed, <laughs> killed the husband of the lady. Boy, how did God ever use that? We mentioned Paul last week. He went around killing Christians and then God used him to, to start churches and, 
And half the New Testament was written by this guy that was a murderer. So I don't know what you've done or how long you've done it. God wants to forgive you of it, and God also wants to use you, just like he did these folks. God not only forgives us, but also wants to use us. Put that on the screen. One other thing, and then I'm finished. Sometimes I think we hold on to guilt because it's a motivator. If I feel bad about doing this, I won't do it next time because I feel bad about it. Well, let me ask you a simple question. If God forgives you and then you have the joy of not feeling bad about it, shouldn't that be a greater motivation (laughs) to stay sin-free than holding on to guilt? Last verse I want to read to you comes from the Psalms. I love this verse. Finally, sometimes we don't confess right away, do we? Sometimes we hold on to it. But finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. All right, that doesn't work. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. Confessed, forgave. As a result, all, there's that three-letter word again, all my guilt is gone. Now, some of you need that first part. You're holding on to something, you're not confessing it. And sometimes I think we don't confess it because, you know, some of those sins, you know you're going to do it again. Because you're not perfect. You know it's going to happen again. Well, no, that's, that's a defeatist attitude. Maybe it'll happen again, maybe not. Confess what has already happened. And then probably most of us listening to me confess your sin all the time. But do you receive God's complete forgiveness? Or do you still hold on to the guilt? Again, do we deserve deserve to be guilt-free? No. But that's what God wants to gift us with. His grace gift of a uh, clear conscience. So a couple things I suggest you to think about. Uh, are you struggling with guilt? A lot of people do. A lot of people are. Can you learn to accept God's forgiveness, complete forgiveness? Again, you may do it again the next day or next week, but accept God's forgiveness for what's past. Why it's so important? Because God wants to use you. And there's no one that can't be used. Bible examples prove that. So, guilt and grace. We'll talk about another aspect of grace next week. Hopefully you'll join us. Hopefully this has been helpful to you. Uh, let me pray with you and let you go. Father God, thank you. Uh, thank you for the, this, uh, your solution to guilt. Because guilt is something that really robs our joy. And sometimes we hold on to it for, for bad reasons. Um, so God, I would pray we'd just take it to you. That we would confess it. We would trust your character and receive your forgiveness. And continue on in joy and in your usefulness. Of course, if you're not a Jesus follower, you are guilty for all your sin, for your whole life. And no matter how much that is or how long that's been, God wants to forgive you for it. Jesus' death on the cross paid for it. All you have to do is acknowledge it and confess it and accept his gift. And all your guilt can be gone. I pray if you're listening to me and and, and you have that desire that you will take that step. You'll pray that prayer to God and receive his 
new life, complete forgiveness. God, thank you for your word. Only way we know what you're like. And you're a God of grace and mercy. Thank you, God. In Jesus' precious name, amen.